All right, now I'll ask that you open your Bibles with me. Take out a copy of Scripture and let's go to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 19. Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20 today. As we have been on a journey through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, we now come up to these two verses. And the question that I have for us and the question that I want to ask and try to answer today is, why does the church sing? Why does the church sing? Now, probably like many of you, I grew up loving music. My dad introduced me to classic rock. My mom introduced me to country, and she didn't even know it when she did so, but she introduced me to my favorite type of music, blues. My best friend's older brothers introduced me to all the great bands that I never would have found on my own. And then movies that I was watching introduced me to symphony orchestra music and classical styles. And I bet each one of you can tell a similar story. Music is something that touches every single one of us. God has woven music into the fabric of the universe. We all feel moved and affected by music from time to time, and we can all appreciate a great song or someone with a special talent, even if they are not a Christian artist, right? Because we know that God gave them those gifts, that God himself created music, that it is God that made it to where certain notes and certain combinations of notes sound pleasing to our ears. But it's not just music that God has given us a desire for. It's singing in particular. Singing in particular. How many popular TV shows and movies are out there right now that revolve around singing? I bet you can think of some that you've seen recently. American Idol, America's Got Talent, Sing One, Sing Two, The Voice, Glee. Think about all the Disney movies and musicals that are out there. Why are we so fascinated by these things when they focus on singing? I think it's because God made us to sing. God created us to sing. We have a desire, every single one of us. Some of us have suppressed it so much, but we have a desire to sing because he made us to do so. And not just to sing whatever, but God made us to sing about his glory and his truth. In the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation happened under the leadership by uh, many men, but one prominent man named Martin Luther. And one of the unsung, so to speak, parts of the Reformation was the Reformation of music. The church's music was transformed because of what happened in the 1500s, specifically because of the influence of this guy, Martin Luther. And he once wrote that music is a gift and grace of God not an invention of men. And thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. And then one forgets all wrath, impurity, and other devices. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. I wish to compose sacred hymns, he wrote, so that the word of God may dwell among the people also. By means of songs. I would allow no man to preach, he said, or teach God's people without a proper knowledge of the use and power of sacred song. 
And I say amen to all of that. Today I want to examine with you what our text says and what the Bible says about congregational singing. Why the church sings. Today in America, there are hardly any environments where people get together and sing as a group. I recently was listening to an interview of an atheist man who grew up in the acapella churches of Christ, and now he's an atheist. And the interviewer asked him, is there anything you miss about church or about Christianity? And he said, you know what? I miss the singing. And he said, I don't really miss the words. He's an atheist now. I don't really miss the words we were singing, but it was the fact that every week a group of people got together to sing. And he was like, I, I just don't find that anywhere else. I mean, really, where else does that happen other than maybe like a kid's birthday party or the seventh inning stretch at a ball game, right? We just don't get together and sing as a group of people in America today. And so why do we sing when we come to church? Why does every church service include hymns and worship songs that the congregation sings together? Well, let's look at our text. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 19. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Now, to tell you the truth, I'll I'll probably start back in verse 18 because verse 19 comes in on the middle of a thought there. And so I don't want to just jump right into the middle of his sentence. So verse 18 says, which we covered last week, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've said it in our series of Ephesians, but there is a parallel book to Ephesians in the New Testament. It has so much of the same content that these are almost parallel books, and that book is Colossians. Ephesians and Colossians are kind of like parallel books with the amount of material that they have in common. And the parallel verse to this passage right here in Ephesians, the parallel one in Colossians, is Colossians 3.16. I'm going to read it to you because we're going to draw from Colossians 3.16 today as well. There it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so we're going to draw from Colossians 3.16 as well as from Ephesians 5.19 and 20 today. And we're going to try to answer that question. Why does the church sing? Well, answer number one is because God commands us to sing. We sing because God has told us to do so. Singing with the congregation is a matter of obedience to God. It's a matter of obedience to God's commands. In every church that I have ever been a part of, I will look out at the congregation at times when we are singing and see people who do not sing. Mouths closed when the congregation is singing together. Now, my friends, God has commanded you to sing to him. Now, you might have a good reason why you don't sing. And I'm not going to judge because I don't know every single person's history and every single person's personal life. But just know that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if the Lord Jesus asks you point blank, why did you not sing praises to the Father 
when the congregation sang. All I'm saying is I hope you have a good excuse. I hope your reason is good enough for the Lord. Because God has commanded us to sing. Keith Getty, who has written some of the best modern American hymns, or modern American, modern hymns, period. Uh, He's not even American himself. Including some that we sing. The Gettys have written In Christ Alone and The Power of the Cross, among others. But he wrote a book about congregational singing, entitled, appropriately, Sing. And in that book, he states that the Bible mentions singing over 400 times. And at least 50 of those are direct commands from God to his people to sing. Commands like Psalm 149, verse 1, which reads, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise in the assembly of the godly. Sing to the Lord. It's a command multiple times in scripture. And I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It does not say let those who have a beautiful voice sing to the Lord. It just says sing to the Lord. In our vernacular it says all y'all sing to the Lord. It tells all God's people to sing. When me and my sisters were growing up we used to get embarrassed at how loud my dad would sing at church. Embarrassed. Because he was belting it out. And we were like, Dad, everybody can hear you. Right? He would sing at the top of his lungs. Now, my, my dad can actually carry a tune. He's not a horrible singer. But what that taught us growing up, and what I'm so thankful for now that I'm this age, is that he was giving everything he had to the Lord, and he did not care who heard him. It did not embarrass him. It's for the Lord. Let's give our very best to God. Let's give God all that we have because of who he is and because of what he has done. I think some of the most God-honoring sounds in churches each Sunday are those who can hardly hold a tune, but who sing out boldly to God out of their love for him and thankfulness for him. I am convinced that God is more pleased with the person who has a really bad voice but is singing out boldly for God. Then he is with the person who can sing like a bird, but is kind of holding back. You don't want anybody to hear them. Those are some of the most beautiful sounds in all the world, especially, I believe, in the mind and in the ears of God. And so we sing, brothers and sisters, because God has commanded us to sing. But not only that, we sing because singing is a form of teaching God's word. Singing is a form of teaching God's word. Now, did you hear in Colossians 3.16 when we read that verse how it said, We teach and admonish one another singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, the, the connection doesn't come through as much in the ESV translation, but it does in other translations like the NIV or the NASB, because those translations will say things like, We're teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Or another translation, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so it is not as though teaching and admonishing one another is one thing and singing is another. No, we are teaching by singing. There's this dichotomy that some of us have created in the church service that the sermon is the teaching portion and the singing is the part where we get our hearts and our emotions involved. And that's completely unbiblical. We should have our hearts and our emotions involved during the sermon, 
during hearing the word of God, and we should have our minds involved. We should be teaching one another as we sing. The songs that we sing are a means by which we teach one another the truths in God's word. What's the largest book in our Bibles, at least by means of chapters? What's the largest book in the Bible by chapters, number of chapters? It's the Psalms, right? Psalms. Now, the Psalms was originally the hymn book of the nation of Israel. It was a hymn book. The Psalms were written as worship songs. They were meant to be set to music and sung by God's people. And in this way, they would sear the truths of God into their minds and into their hearts. Now, you might say you don't have a great memory. Many people struggle with memory sometimes, especially as we get older. But how many songs could you sing from start to finish if somebody just started it for you and you didn't even have to, have to look at anything? You could sing all the words from start to finish as long as it got started for you. It's amazing how Alzheimer's patients can get to the point where they don't even remember the names of their loved ones. But if they grew up in church, you can start a song in their ear like Amazing Grace, and they could carry it word for word and finish it out. And they couldn't tell you the name of their spouse. Why? Music, for whatever reason, music activates a part of our brains and our memories that just mere rote memorization does not activate. Music sears truth into our minds in a way that other forms of memorization does not. We use this method, method to teach our children often, do we not? Right? We teach our kids things like the ABC song. How many of us still sing the ABC song in our head when we're trying to figure out alphabetical order? Right? We've got it in our head forever. Or the, the Sunday school songs that we teach our kids. Music sears truth into our minds and into our hearts. And so when we gather as a church, we are teaching one another the truths of Scripture through song, not just through a sermon. Now, because of this, because we are teaching as we sing, because singing is a way of teaching, it is extremely important what songs we choose to sing. It's extremely important what songs we choose to sing each week. Because the songs that we sing are teaching doctrine. And I'll be the first to admit people are going to remember the words of the songs that we sing much more than the words of the sermon. We're going to go home remembering those words to those songs a lot more than we remember the words to a sermon. We'll forget those a lot faster. And so it's critical that we sing songs that are biblically true and faithful in their content. It is not enough for us to say, well, as long as the song is about God or about Jesus, it should be fine. That's not enough. There are plenty of worship songs out there that are confusing at best when you compare their lyrics to what you find in the Bible. It is not enough for us to say, well, as long as it's in our hymnal, it's good. Not enough. There are songs even in that very hymnal that are confusing when it comes to what they teach. It is not enough to say, well, that's a good song for bringing out emotions. It's not only about that, right? Singing is not only about our emotions. It's about the truths that we sing. Our emotions come from the truth that we know, the truth that we learn in the Bible. Singing is a response to that truth. Singing is about 
not just emotion, but truth as well. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. He says, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Not just with my spirit, with my mind as well. My mind is engaged as I am singing. It's not just an emotional dump or an emotional high. My mind is engaged. We're teaching truth here. Now, third, third, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 right here, 19 specifically, tells us that we are singing to God, yes, but we are also singing to one another. Do you see that in Ephesians 5, 19 there? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, addressing one another. Excuse me. We're making melody to the Lord, yes, but we are addressing one another as well. We're singing to God, but that's not all that's going on. That's not all that's supposed to be going on. We are also supposed to be singing to one another, singing truth to one another. That Colossians passage says we're teaching and admonishing who? One another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a trend in churches today that during the, the worship song portion of the service, that we, we turn off the house lights and make it dark for all the people in the pews or in the seats. You know, turn up the lights that are on the band or, or the praise team. And the idea is that you want people in the pews or in the seats to forget about everyone around them and to think about only what's going on between them and God. It's only between you and God. There's an audience of one, they will say. And so we'll turn the music up loud so that you can't hear anybody else. We'll turn the lights off so you can't see anybody else. It's just about what's going on between you and God. And my friends, that is not biblical. It is not biblical. Now, I'm not saying the Bible says you should have the lights on or off. The Bible doesn't say that. But what it does say is we are addressing one another when we sing. Not just God. It's not just between you and God. That is part of what we're doing. That's the main part of what we're doing. But it specifically says we're addressing one another. The focus in the New Testament is never on the individual. It's always congregational singing. The church singing together. For instance, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Together. This is one of the reasons why staying home on a Sunday morning and watching a church service online, even if you're singing out while they are singing, it is not a substitute, not a biblical substitute for gathering with the body of Christ. Now, we understand there are those who wish they could gather but can't. There are those who want to gather with the body of Christ, but because of their health, they cannot. But there are many more who choose to stay home and watch a church service online and at the end say, I have done church. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the word church means. The word church doesn't mean a thing that happens in a certain place at a certain time. The word church doesn't mean some kind of combination of preaching and singing and Lord's Supper. The word church is about people. The word church means assembly in the New Testament. It means a coming together of the people of God, the body of Christ. In Hebrews 10, we are told not to give up meeting together, 
but to encourage one another. And so part of the reason we do what we are doing right here, right now, today, every Sunday too, part of the reason we do this is to encourage one another. When we come together on Sundays, we're helping one another hold on to Jesus. We're saying to one another, you're not alone, and I'm not alone either. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus in this world that is trying to get us in a million ways to give up and to let go. It's part of the reason we come to church together every Sunday morning. And when you see your brother or sister in Christ singing to the Lord, when you see them singing to the Lord, it reminds you that you're not alone. I was once in a church service in Washington, D.C., where the pews were organized in a semicircle. And it was even greater than a semicircle. It was more than 180 degrees. And so when you're singing, you're staring directly at other people and watching them sing. And the singing in that service was fantastic because people could see each other. And it, it was kind of a, a, a wonderful uprising of all of it. You know, the, the tide lifts all the boats, so to speak. We could see each other sing, and it made us want to sing all the more. We're addressing one another when we sing. There is strength and encouragement in coming together to do this. Yes, you can sing worship songs in your car or in your house, and I would encourage you to do so. But that's not the church. That's not what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 5 or in Colossians 3. The church is the body of Christ, and you don't do church at home. The church is a group of people helping one another follow Jesus. And as we come together, when we sing, we're addressing one another as well as addressing God. Now, fourth, we see in this passage that we are to sing a variety of songs. We are to sing a variety of songs. You see how it says in this passage and in the one in Colossians, we're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we know what psalms are. I don't know, honestly, what Paul meant by the difference between hymns and spiritual songs. Some people read that and they think, oh, yeah, that means, you know, old hymns and contemporary Christian music. Well, that's not what Paul was thinking 2,000 years ago when he wrote it. But there's some kind of difference in it. I don't know what it is. But what I can tell you is it's not going too far to say that he's encouraging us here to sing a variety of songs when we gather. What do I mean by a variety? Well, number one, we should sing songs that are straight up Bible, psalms, he says right here, but also songs that have lyrics written by people like us. We should sing new songs as well as old songs. We should sing upbeat songs as well as slow songs. We should sing songs that express a wide variety and range of emotions. Not every song we sing in church is going to be happy clappy, but at the same time, not every song we sing needs to be somber and, and reverent, right? We need a variety. The Psalms provide us a wonderful model in expressing a, a, a super-duper wide range of emotions, even within the Psalms themselves. We need to be singing Psalms that are deep as well as simple. We need to be singing Psalms that, songs that are complex as well as repetitive. You know, one of the, the, the real frequent knocks on contemporary Christian music is that it's so repetitive. Have you ever thought that? Here's some contemporary Christian music and you're like, man, it's just so repetitive. They're singing that, you know, 30 times. We've got it now. We get it, right? So repetitive. But let me tell you, 
I, I offered that objection up thinking I was all smart and knew what I was talking about to someone one time. And they said, John, have you ever read Psalm 136? And for a second, I didn't know what they were talking about. And then I looked at it and 26 times in Psalm 136, it says, for his steadfast love endures forever. You think you're singing that bridge too many times with that contemporary Christian worship song? 26 times in a row for his steadfast love endures forever. And it makes sense. Think about singing that song and searing it into your memory and into your head. We should sing songs that are both complex as well as repetitive. And so you see, the church does not exist to meet our preferences. And we especially need to remember that when it comes to the songs that we sing. The church does not exist to meet your preferences. There is a very important reason why here at Columbia Christian Church we do not offer two services, one traditional and one contemporary. Not going to do that. Why? Because that reinforces the worldly idea that our preferences should be what drives what we do here. And that is exactly not what is true or what we need to be reinforcing. No, we worship together, young and old, male and female, different preferences and all the other differences that we have. We sacrifice our preferences as we come in here for the good of the whole. We sacrifice our preferences. And so, not every song we sing is going to be your favorite. And I'm here to tell you, not every song we sing is my favorite. It's not. But, as long as they are biblical and singable, I can rejoice when we sing a song that's not necessarily my favorite, but it's helping others to worship God. We sacrifice our preferences when we come in here for the good of the body of Christ. It's a family. This is part of the radical gospel witness of the church gathering together. What we do right now, right here, what we are doing each Sunday, this is a radical witness to the unbelieving world. You might think this is a very simple thing, just coming to church. But gathering together as the body of Christ as we're doing is a radical witness to the unbelieving world. Because God meant for non-Christians to come into a church gathering and witness something that on the surface doesn't make sense. All kinds of different groups of people that shouldn't naturally get along loving one another and sacrificing for one another and having deep fellowship with one another. Old people and young people, both sacrificing their own preferences for the good of the other. People of different races and economic backgrounds, Democrats and Republicans. And God means for the world to look in and say, that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't like each other. They definitely shouldn't love each other. And yet that's what's going on. What is it? What is this thing that causes all kinds of people of such different backgrounds to love one another and sacrifice for one another? It's a radical gospel witness to the unbelieving world when we come together like that. Now, finally this morning, why do we sing? This is probably the deepest and most important reason Why we sing? We sing from our hearts. Singing is an overflow of what is in our hearts. Listen to the last part of verse 19 and then verse 20 here in our text, where it says, We are singing and making melody to the Lord 
with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we sing? Ultimately, it's because of who God is and what he has done for us. That's why we sing. Because of who God is and what he has done for us. Singing is the overflow of a grateful heart. When we are singing, we are worshiping. We're worshiping. That means we're praising God for who he is and for what he has done. And this is why singing must be based on the truth of the Bible. It must be based on the truth of God's word because of what singing is. Singing is a response in your heart to what you have come to know. Singing is a response to God's revelation of himself in the Bible. So, when we read things in the Bible, it causes us to sing. It makes us want to sing. When we read in places like Exodus 34 that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, that makes us want to sing. When we read that God made the universe by the word of his mouth and he sustains us every second by his wisdom and power, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that God poured out his wrath on his own son, Jesus, on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that God is changing this world through the witness of gospel Christians, believers, and churches all over the world, and that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are doing what we do, it makes us want to sing. And when we read that Jesus rose from the dead... And that right now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. It makes us want to sing. And when we read that he is coming back one day. And he will make all things new. And he will take us to be with himself forever. And that he will be our God. And we will be his people. And there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or death. For all of those former things will have passed away. It makes us want to sing. And so singing is the overflow of a grateful and joyful heart because of what we have read, the truths that we have come to know. It's a response to God's revelation of himself in his word. And so, brothers and sisters, sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing with all you've got. Give him what you can. It is a meager offering of praise that we give every week, is it not? Compared to what he is worth, Compared to what he deserves, ours is a meager offering. And yet the Lord accepts it if it comes from a sincere heart. Sing from hearts that have been changed by Jesus. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then all of those truths that we just talked about, all of those truths in the Bible that Jesus has died for your sins, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus is coming soon, that gospel message is for you. That gospel message is for you if you have never had your heart changed by the truth of the gospel. It's for you today. And you can have a heart that wants to sing to the Lord as well. You can have a heart that's changed by Christ. Right now we're going to spend some time in prayer. Silent prayer for just a few moments, each one of us. 
And as we do this, this is a time that we give for everyone to respond to God's word that he just laid upon our hearts. It's a time of response. And so we're asking that you go to the Lord in silent prayer and you speak back to him now that he has spoken to you. Respond to him in whatever way you feel he is calling you and his spirit is calling you to respond. After we do that, pray individually for a few moments. We'll come back and we'll have a time of public response where anyone who needs to respond to God's word in a public manner can do so. Let's pray for a few moments.